Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Kristen. And I'm Caroline. And for people who follow us on Twitter at MomStuffPodcast, you got a little preview a couple weeks ago. We were going to be doing this episode on Instagram. I was live, live tweeting some podcast research asking folks what they wanted to know about Instagram. And a lot of replies were about selfies, mm. food pics, mm-hmm. yoga moms. Yep. So, even though there hasn't been a lot of formal research on Instagram, we figured, why not talk about it, right? Yeah. I mean, I I actually just got on there recently, not too long ago. And I can't remember, I was just telling Kristen, I can't remember why, what drove me on there, other than I just felt like, oh, all right, fine, I'll get on there and post some pictures. But I've actually gotten kind of sucked in because I do like the sharing aspect. Yeah, I'll confess that I am not as Instagram literate as I should be because I have an account. It is private, but I have very few photos even in there because I have an old phone and the camera does not take crisp, beautiful photos. Hmm. So I'm t- I've been telling myself that once I get a new phone, mm-hmm. I've been telling myself this for like two years, <laughs> that I'll get on Instagram and become an Instagram queen. But maybe this episode is the catalyst for getting active on Instagram. There you go. Because stuff I'm never told you should probably get on Instagram, right? We probably should get on all of the social medias. What do you think we would post photos of, Caroline, if Stuff Mom Never Told You had an Instagram? We could post studio selfies. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, research pictures. We're researching. Um, pictures of women? I don't know. What else? Photos of your favorite sandwiches? Oh, heck yeah. I know, but I am sort of a morally... Opposed to food pictures. Oh, we're going to get into food pics. Yeah, so I don't... If I were to make a great sandwich like I made this weekend, then I would absolutely post a picture. But, you know, not of my run-of-the-mill average sandwich. Okay, no no PB&Js right. on the Sminty Instagram. Well, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll post on our so existing social medias to announce uh, if and when we're going to get on Instagram. We'll probably be doing it ASAP. Let us know if you want us to, if you'd even if you even <laughs> follow us, if you want to look at our photos. Yeah, I mean, you can follow. I guess they can follow us in the meantime. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but who founded Instagram? Some geeks. A couple geeks. Yeah, these guys, Kevin Systrom and Mike Krieger uh, out in San Francisco, who this this really interesting New York Times article talked about the the help they got from people around them. It's sort of like they were able to reach out to other people in the tech community um, just because they knew a whole lot of people uh, around the whole Stanford community. Yeah. And one thing that stood out to me about the founding of Instagram is how it's such a snapshot <laughs> of these kind of bro networks, uh, for lack of a, a more formal phrasing, because all of the people, except for one, really, cited in that New York Times story, it's all guys. Mm-hmm. And they're all in this startup culture. They're all in the Bay Area. And they hang out together. They drink beer together. They went to Stanford together, etc. And this is how all of these startups like Instagram are being made. Not to say that women are not in the mix as well. But for instance, let me let me just read from the New York Times. Uh, it says, by and large, it's a network of young men 
many who attended Stanford and had attention of the world's biggest venture capitalists before they even left campus. Among this set, risk-taking is regarded as a badge of honor. Ideas are disposable. If one doesn't work, you move on quickly to another. Timing matters. You make your own luck. Which I feel like that that nugget right there of m- moving quickly, taking risks, making your own luck is maybe an example that, that women could learn from from more so as well. Because we do tend to be a little more risk averse. Yeah. So jump jump in there. Jump in there because you, too, could make a billion dollars from Facebook from your app. Yeah. And I mean, Instagram is a great example of something that started off as a different incarnation. Um, it started off as a project kind of like Foursquare, but for pictures, right? Exactly. It was an HTML5 check-in project for mobile photography. So, and I think it was Mike Krieger who had the initial idea where he saw what Foursquare was doing and he liked the idea of the the location-based check-ins, but he wanted to do something more with pictures, but then once Foursquare really started taking off, he was like, yeah, we need to focus more on the photo. And then... On October 6th, 2010, <laughs> history, history was made in the Apple Store. Right. That's when Instagram hits the Apple Store. And within the first 24 hours, they have 25,000 users. And they had 300,000 by week three. And fast forward to today, they have over 130 million users with over 16 billion God. photos uploaded. And it took off so quickly within the first 24 hours that they had to call up a guy that they knew over from Facebook to help because their server kept crashing. They're like, we don't know what to do. We've made apparently the most <laughs> incredible thing in the world and our servers can't keep up. Yes, everyone loves posting selfies so much. It's like the Internet didn't know what it was missing until right. October 6, 2010. Um, but an analysis that's been done... Since that short window of time, I mean, that's 2010, we're only, we're only in 2013, uh, but analysts would say that this fits naturally within the progression of how we use the internet, particularly women and young adults. Right. I mean, look at Pinterest. We've done an episode on Pinterest before talking about, uh, just this culture of curating online rather than creating and how Pinterest is such a women-driven site. Instagram is two, but not quite to the same degree. So the Pew Center did a breakdown of who's using it and found that 16% of women Internet users are on Instagram versus 10% of male Internet users. And I was surprised to see that the gender gap wasn't wider, almost mm-hmm. Pinterest-sized, because I don't know about you, Caroline, but I, I feel like Instagram is stereotyped as very female-centric. I don't know. Maybe it's because I just got on there recently and hadn't been paying attention to it, but I didn't really have a stereotype about it either way. But I also do follow a pretty even split of men and women on mine. I wonder if that idea in my head of Instagram being more lady focused is because of the rise of the selfie. Because Mm -hmm. while guys and girls, I'm sure, post equal amounts of selfies, would a guy taking a photo of himself ever call it a selfie? You know, I asked dude roommate about this last night. Yeah. Yeah. And he was so like scornful and dismissive of the idea of the selfie. 
he was like, well, that's a girl thing. Girls do that. And it's really stupid. Guys would never do that. He's like, the only time I would ever take what you would call a selfie is if I had like a, a cool scar on my face that I got from fighting. I was like, okay, you're masculine. <laughs> so then would it be called a scarfy? Ooh, I like it. Hey, hey, hey. In fact, the Pew Center found that age is a much stronger predictor of Instagram use than gender, with 18 to 29-year-olds comprising the core demo we're, far and wide. We're just, we're just holding on there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You and I in the core demographic, we're, we're just holding on. We're millennials. We're, we're in there. Um, and there's an interesting uh, race breakdown as well. And I think this also holds for Twitter in that Instagram is more popular among black and Hispanic users versus white users. And also income wise, those making under 30K are the most likely to use it. And that probably has to do with the age factor. We're a lot younger. We're probably not making as much money. But the fact, though, that the we're, we're making under $30,000 but using Instagram the most, and yet Instagram often sort of used in a, in a status-conscious kind of way mm-hmm. of taking pictures of either you know your, your beautiful face and your cool hair or your shoes or your bag or your vacation spot. Right. I mean, I like to, I do like to post vacation photos. I don't really want to take pictures of cool clothes or bags because I don't know if I have any cool clothes or bags. But one thing that I did notice, I mean, demographic wise is uh, it is also much more likely to be used by city dwellers versus people in rural areas, which I wonder what the reason for that is. Maybe there's just something more appealing about the, the urban vista with skyscrapers and sunsets and oh, the skylines. skylines. There we go. Interesting. Urban skylines. Um, but w- I wanted to know what kind of stuff people are posting on Instagram outside of just the basic things of, oh, well, selfies and food. Uh, so we looked at the most common Instagram tags which aren't necessarily specific to the objects, but I thought they were kind of fascinating. This is as of June 2013. This was reported on by HuffPotech's Brian Honigman. And the number one Instagram tag, love. And I thought that was all cute until I realized that people probably post love for, like, things also. Exactly. You're just as likely to post love under a picture of your boyfriend as you are a pair of shoes or something. (laughs) Sure. Not to be totally cynical. No, it's true. Yeah. Um, Love is followed by Insta Good, Me, TBT, Throwback Thursday, and Cute. So those, at least those top five hashtags do sound at least feminine skewing. They do. They do, except for I didn't realize what TBT stood for. So there we go, everyone. I'm learning something right in front of your ears. Throwback Thursday. That's what we could post on our Instagrams. Yeah. I have uh, Sally has so many baby pictures of me displaying my baby mullet. We could easily post some Caroline baby mullet pictures on Throwback Thursday. And I have kindergarten mullet pictures to post. (laughs) Caroline, let's just stop recording and get on Instagram (laughs) right now. All right. Well, so one thing that did not pop up in the top five uh, tags on Instagram is food, food, food. I think of all of the negative stereotypes about Instagram, one of the main ones is what's up with all these food pictures? Will you stop posting (laughs) your food on Instagram? I think there's even I'm sure there are multiple ones, but there's even a, a giant Facebook group 
with a mean title about we hate people who post food on Instagram. Yeah, there is. It. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what's so impressive about taking pictures of your dinner. Uh, uh, you know, other than maybe if you haven't eaten in a really long time. Well, I have seen some, uh, some accounts from professional food photographers and cooks, and it's really pretty. I mean, oh, some sure. of the stuff well, is gorgeous. Yes, I, I agree with you there. I take back kind of partially what I said, because I do follow a chef, and I do love seeing his food pictures. Um, but I, yeah, I mean, in general, meh. Well, maybe this, this gets to the heart of your meh okay. for that. According to data from Moment Feed... The Cheesecake Factory is the number one most Instagrammed restaurant. Yeah, I I rolled real hard at this um, because uh, Cheesecake Factory is followed in this list by Applebee's, Chili's, and Olive Garden. And I was like, come on, seriously? And then I thought about it. I was like, okay, don't be so judgmental. These restaurants are all over the country versus like your little neighborhood bistro that obviously would not be the most Instagrammed place in the country. Yeah. I mean, there's one location of your adorable bistro versus how many cheesecake factories. And I will say the portion sizes at Cheesecake Factory are incredible. Thanks. <laughs> so. Yes. I would want to take a picture just to prove how big my pasta portion was. But some of the research uh, that has been applied to Instagram has looked at this aspect of snapping pics of our food. And in 2013, there was a study published in Psychological Science, which suggested loosely that Instagramming meals might actually have the benefit of making the food taste better. Right. In the same way that people say, you know, you shouldn't watch TV at the same time that you eat or, you know, do another activity while you're eating. You should focus on your food. Researchers from the University of Minnesota and Harvard Business School found that rituals enhance the enjoyment of consumption because of the greater involvement in this experience that they prompt. So, like, the study had people, um, like, given the ritual of breaking a chocolate bar in a certain way and eating it in, in a very ritualized fashion versus just shoving it in your face like I do when I eat a chocolate bar. And the people who, like, had a ritual to it and were supposed to, like, break it here and then eat half and then do this, they were able to enjoy it more because it kind of slowed them down, I guess. Yeah, it's delaying that gratification. Mm-hmm. Um, and while the study didn't look specifically at Instagram, study author Kathleen DeVos did tell Huffington Post that it seemed like a ritual that could enhance pleasure from food. But, I mean, that could be applied to other things as simple as, uh, you know, growing up in my family, we would bless the food mm-hmm. first. And I remember sitting there and being like, can we finish, please? I just want to <laughs> eat. And then, of course, you know, like once I finally got to eat, it was maybe especially delicious. But Instagram could be considered a more tech savvy type of ritual that you could apply. But Instagramming all of your meals could also, according to some people, be too much of a good thing. Yeah, this is coming from Dr. Valerie Taylor, who told the Canadian Obesity Summit that obsessively Instagram documenting your food could be a sign of an actual unhealthy and complicated relationship with food. She talks about how these people aren't taking pictures of the people they're with. They're taking them of food. And it's sort of another way of demonstrating, just like we talked about in our foodie episodes and all that stuff, food's elevated importance mm-hmm. in our lives, more so than like hobbies. Now we have food. Yeah. Well, while food definitely tends to polarize people on Instagram in terms of whether they're totally for it or like totally against it, one of the most controversial topics that's come up in terms of Instagram 
are images of moms breastfeeding on there. And uh, a lot of people may have seen an image that went viral from breastfeeding yoga mom. Her username is uh, Daughter of the Sun. Yeah, and she uh, had a picture of her doing a headstand naked, and her child, I believe it was her daughter, was breastfeeding. All of this was going on at the same time. I'm just impressed with her balance. I feel like that's too much for my brain to handle doing all at the same time. So anyway, this was a picture from 2011, and it, like Kristen said, it went viral, and as a result, Instagram disabled her account. Yeah, and this isn't the first time that Instagram has run into issues uh, taking down or censoring pictures of moms breastfeeding, which has led to lots of conversations about, well, hey, you know, what's what's so wrong with women exposing their breasts in this way? It's not sexualized. They're breastfeeding. Facebook has had similar issues as well. Also, uh, Tumblr. And people are upset that Instagram has taken down Daughter of the Sun. There's even a, a mini campaign to get them to reactivate her account. And uh, I have a feeling that Kevin Systrom and Mike Krieger, who founded Instagram, probably never thought they were going to have to outline a breastfeeding policy on Instagram. But this is what it is. Uh, Instagram's policy on breastfeeding is we agree that breastfeeding is natural and beautiful. And we're glad to know that it's important for mothers to share their experiences with others on Instagram. The vast majority of these photos are compliant with our policies. Photos that show a fully exposed breast where the child is not actively engaged in nursing do violate our community guidelines. These policies are based on the same standards which apply to television and print media. Well, the thing about that, like people were arguing, okay, well, her breast wasn't showing and she was actively engaged in breastfeeding. However, they do have a nudity policy. Mm -hmm. So, but I mean, it's like the side, it's a profile shot where you see the side of her, her bottom, Mm -hmm. (laughs) her bottom, bottom, uh, and you don't, it's not like you see her exposed vagina. Right. Or anything like that. I mean, God forbid you want to see her (laughs) exposed vagina. Um, so yeah, I, I want to know from, from listeners whether or not you think that it's cool to crack down on breastfeeding photos or if it's like, come on, can we just get over this fear of the breast? Well, those were a lot of the comments. That was the split kind of on the story talking about this because it seemed like people were either get over it. Who cares? Like breastfeeding is natural. What are you so worked up about? And other people who were like, she's an exhibitionist. You know, she wants to post all these naked photos and, and they're titillating and she just wants attention. But it wasn't when I, I clicked through a gallery of a lot of her photos and they were gorgeous. Mm-hmm. She lived in Hawaii with her family on this commune and a lot of them were very scenic and interesting and kind of made me want to go live in a hippie commune and <laughs> but only Hawaii. If it's in Hawaii. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, but speaking of the fact though that she was doing a yoga headstand, one thing I was surprised to see was how intense of a yoga community is on Instagram. These yoga folks have hundreds of thousands of followers to the point that there was a New York Times trend piece that came out not too long about this. Right. And it gives a whole lot of guidelines. Like if you're going to take these pictures, like, you know, it was asking all of these Instagram yoga people what makes them so successful on the site. And a lot of it has to do with framing. Don't have your dirty dishes in the background. Have a nice, peaceful background. Wear some fancy schmancy leggings. Um, you know, one woman was saying that she sets her fancy camera to take pictures every two 
seconds as she's going through poses. And the pictures were gorgeous. The ones mm-hmm. that the New York Times had pulled for the piece were incredible. Um, but there were some who would say that yoga is about, you know, cultivating yourself away from the ego, the concept of the ego, and isn't trying to amass hundreds of thousands of followers on Instagram by putting on mermaid leggings and doing incredible headstands, violating those principles. Yeah, and you know what? That was brought up in that story, and it was never really answered, which, right. I, which I thought was interesting, because they, they put that question to some of the people. And they were like, oh, well, you know, leggings. Well, it's I mean, I think for the the breastfeeding issue and for the the yoga stuff, and even for food, too, um, it's kind of cool to see how Instagram is exposing what we're comfortable with seeing and what we're not comfortable with seeing, what mm-hmm. seems to violate our norms in like very everyday kinds of ways. Like yeah. normally, like if you and I were walking past, uh, you know, a table of people eating lunch and we saw their food, we wouldn't be like, put it away. <laughs> but we had a room. <laughs> yeah, but we don't want to see a photo of that. What's the difference? Well, I mean, I think it's the same thing with selfies. You know, like I think you're a very lovely person sitting across from me. But if I see you posting pictures of yourself every five minutes on Facebook, I'm going to be like, Kristen, cut it out. (laughs) Enough of those selfies. Uh, Yeah, we got to talk about the selfies. Uh, Selfie was coined on Flickr, actually, and popped up on MySpace in 2004. So Selfie's been around in our vernacular for a long time, but only recently has the online Oxford English Dictionary adopted it. I'm shaking my head. You are shaking your head. Just shaking my head. I just, you know, just because people say words. Well, I mean, to be fair, the OED also is including denim on denim and cake pops in their 2013 edition, so... Look, stop trying to make fetch happen, okay? It's true. Anyway, um, so as of 2012, more than 23 million photos with the selfie tag had been uploaded, and 70 million photos were tagged me. And some, of course, are saying this is just an example of millennial narcissism, pure and simple. I feel like if you pick up any trend piece written about millennials, you're going to see a mention of Instagram and selfies mm-hmm. saying these people clearly are obsessed with themselves because they can't stop taking images of themselves. But I will say in the defense of the selfie in the front facing camera for someone who is simply not very photogenic. I'm not saying like I'm a troll. I'm just saying like cameras don't always capture my <laughs> my best angles and being able to manipulate and find precisely where you look the best. I mean, yeah, I'm going to take a picture. Sure. Yeah, and plus Mindy Kaling has a whole chapter in her uh, in her book about it. Is about she, selfies. Is she pro selfie? Oh my god. Yeah, it's like her she was basically talking about how her entire Blackberry is filled with selfies and how she uses it not only just to take pictures of herself willy nilly, but also like check her makeup. How do I look in glasses? How do I look smiling? You know, is my hair okay? But then she doesn't delete them, and it's, it's kind of silly. Well, you could argue that maybe the ability to take a perfect selfie is good for girls because it allows us to maybe more easily find our own beauty. Hmm? I'm going on a limb. Yeah, you're you're out on a limb. But see, like, what? I don't know. I, 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 I'm trying not to be... <laughs> I'm trying not to be super judgmental about people who post nonstop selfies. Like, what is, what is up with that? 
The like, excessive selfie. Yeah, like 15 a day or something crazy like that. What's going on? Uh, I'm not sure. I mean, Pamela Rudledge has a more positive outlook on all of these selfies that are being posted. She's the director of the Media Psychology Research Center, and she was talking to the Christian Science Monitor about this. And she said that selfies are simply democratizing the quote-unquote once snooty practice of self-portraiture. And she's like, you know what? Yeah, we see a lot of selfies, but... Selfies have been going on ever since the mirror was invented in the 15th century, and it became a lot easier for people to paint self-portraits. So I don't know about that, because I'm kind of looking at it from the opposite direction. Like, she is saying it's it's not a negative thing, you know, that it's democratizing something that used to be just in the upper echelons. But I'm looking at it as, no, we're all narcissistic, and we all always have been, and now we just have an easier way to capture photos of ourselves or images of ourselves. Well, and to post those images and to select the perfect image for that. There was actually um, the study uh, that is one of the only studies looking specifically at Instagram, looking at an application of Instagram, and the methodology was a, a, a little limited, I'll say, to extrapolate too many results from it. But it came out in April 2013 out of Sweden's University of Gothenburg. And what the researchers did was look at how people used Instagram when they were visiting a natural history museum. <laughs> so, okay. Um, and they concluded that people put a lot of time and effort into the Instagram pictures that they upload, that it wasn't just a lot of kind of vapid selfie Photos, but they were really going through and creating and curating Mm -hmm. the best possible photo. But also, I mean, you have to think about it. These are, you know, it's a self-selected group of people who are going to a natural history museum Mm -hmm. and probably natural history museums are not, don't lend themselves as well to selfies as say, where, where's a place Uh, as a, as a party, as a cool party, as a cool party, as a rooftop party in Brooklyn. (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, the whole putting a lot of time into it also, you've got to think about what is the motivation for that. You want to post good pictures because you want people to click like and comment and so that other people can see that their friends liked your picture so that they can start following you. Well, and you want to just look good to the world. Yeah. It's all, it's a new facet and well, not so new facet now of this constant self presentation that we have to maintain. Which I personally find exhausting. On my personal, yeah. on my personal Facebook account, I don't, A, I don't post that much, and I really don't post many photos. Yeah. Cause it just, I don't know, it's so much. It is a lot. I prefer to use Facebook. I did post vac- vacation photos, cause of course, but, um, I, I use it mainly to post links about things I'm interested in. Well, Caroline, with those photos of vacation, for mm-hmm. instance, alright, and I'm sure, did you Instagram some? Too. Oh, sure. A couple. Yeah. Vacay photos, very common on Instagram. A lot of times the stuff that we're going to see on Instagram, because it's image based, are really, you know, it's really portraying the best of our lives. And so some research is now looking into, well, what is the impact of consuming Instagram? Not like, what does it mean when we're taking all these selfies? But mm-hmm. what does looking at all the, these selfies, what does me seeing your photo of of you on the beach, due to me when I'm sitting in my cubicle. Um, 
because there's been a ton of research now on the impact of consuming Facebook. And mm-hmm. a lot of it is negative, saying that it provokes jealousy and depression and feelings of isolation because we are curating how our lives look to the world, usually in the best possible light. Yeah. So what about Instagram? Well, you know, when I was reading this and I, I had been looking at some of those studies on Facebook and just thinking, you know, this is so... I don't really feel that way about Facebook. I don't feel like I'm missing the party or something when I look at Facebook. But then when I was looking at the Slate article that said, quote, Instagram distills the most crazy making aspects of the Facebook experience, I was like, bingo. Because, like we said, people post really beautiful pictures on Instagram. They do put a lot of time and effort into it. And so some of the people I'm following, you know, I don't even know them. They're traveling the world and they're posting pictures of like Buddhist temples and wherever they are, you know. I'm like, oh, man, I guess I'll just go to work today and sit in traffic again. Well, even if someone's not traveling around, thanks to the filters, mm-hmm. Instagram really can make the ordinary look extraordinary. Exactly. And this podcast is brought to you <laughs> by Instagram. Instagram, if you'd like to send me that check. Um, but really, I mean, you can we could take we could make our podcast studio look so cool, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure there's a filter for that. It's like the Nashville one, maybe. I don't Nashville know. or Kelvin, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, but so Hannah Krasnova of Humboldt University in Berlin co-authored a study on Facebook and those envy spirals. And she talked about how um, photos can provoke immediate social comparison and that can make you feel inferior. And, you know, whereas I might just be posting links on Facebook about issues or news stories I'm interested in, you know, she's saying news stories don't promote envy. That's where those pictures come in. And Catalina Toma of the Department of Communication Arts at the University of Wisconsin, Madison, has also looked into Facebook and um, the, the how it affects our self-esteem. And she told Slate uh, that The photographs, likes, and comments are the aspects of the Facebook experience that are the most important in driving the self-esteem effects. And so when you isolate all that down, kind of like you were saying, the way that Instagram does, then, yeah, you're probably going to see some very similar results in terms of Instagram provoking not-so-positive self-esteem. Yeah, I don't know. Like, there's this one guy I follow who posts pictures of his beautiful wife, and they're, like, in all of these far-flung locations. And <laughs> I was just thinking last night, like, I need to stop following this guy. Like, his life looks too amazing. I can't even handle it. <laughs> well, social law psychologist Sarah J. Gervais wrote over at Psychology Today that she she sees all of the selfies that people post, all of the diversity of the actual faces and bodies that you see on Instagram. Maybe, maybe Caroline, it's not that you need to unfollow those people, but just follow more people mm-hmm. to provide a more diverse feed. Because she says this is actually all going to be good for our body image because it showcases diversity. Right. Instead of only having like glamour or vogue to flip through where everybody's airbrushed and in designer clothes and looking amazing, but only looking like kind of one kind of amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, she is saying that, you know, Instagram, even if we are trying to present the best picture to the world, 
Instagram does give you a more diverse picture of humanity, kind of. And she um, also likes how it does give a glimpse into what she calls the makings of people's everyday lives. Mm -hmm. She says we get a sense of those things that make the everyday extraordinary, things that inspire us, pique our curiosity, deeply touch us, and make us smile. But I do think there's that fine line between all of those things that are incredible and inspire us in the, the everyday workings of other people's lives and how we internalize that mm-hmm. and compare it to the shortcomings perceived or otherwise in our own lives. Yeah. And you also don't want to be too much of a stalker. No. Although it can be hard to also not not do that as well. So from what we know today, which is not a lot, we, we know who uses Instagram. We know the kinds of things that are on Instagram. We know that people love posting pictures of themselves yeah. and food. And yoga poses. What do you think? What's your take? Well, you know, as somebody who's new to Instagram, I I do like it a lot. I think it's great. I like keeping up with not only what people in my community are doing, but what world travelers are doing and and looking at all their awesome pictures. But I, I think we should start a movement, Kristen. I think instead of food pictures and selfies, we need to come up with something else. What is something else that we can obsessively post pictures about? You mean in terms of uh, on the more inspirational front? You know how Tumblr has all and and Pinterest has all those inspirational quotes mm-hmm. that are everywhere. What would be the Instagram real world imagery version of that? I don't know, but I have started. Uh, like, there's an another app. There's an Instagram related app called Overgram where you can put text in nice fonts over your images. And I've started putting Whitney Houston lyrics on top of my inspirational-looking sunset photos. Well, sounds like you're going to be managing the new stuff <laughs> I've never told you, Instagram. I am so on it. Well, we want to hear from you now. What do you think about Instagram? Do you do you use it? Do you like it? Do you loathe it? Let us know all of your thoughts. Momstuff at discovery.com is where you can send your letters. And if there was an aspect of Instagram that we didn't talk about, because it would have been impossible to talk about every single genre of Instagram photo, uh, let us know if there's been one that's really piqued your interest. And of course, if you want us to get on Instagram, let us know now. Momstuff at discovery.com is where you can send your emails. You can also find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Mom Stuff Podcast. And we've got a couple of letters to read when we come back. And now back to our letters. Uh, I have a letter here from Heather. Uh, subject line, getting pregnant over 35, question mark, in response to our fertility episode. She says, I'm so sad that waiting for Mr. Wright was never mentioned as a reason for delaying pregnancy. I know several over 35-year-old women who would love to find the guy, get married, and have babies. They even feel a bit despondent at times and think they may never get married and have a baby. I'm so tired of all the articles talking about how women are delaying having babies to work on their careers. I myself finally met the right guy at 34, waited for him to finish grad school, got married at 38, pregnant at 39, and finally had a baby at 40. Trust me, I would have been ready at 25. I think most women know they can have a career and a baby, but most women do not want to use a sperm donor and be a single mom. So thanks for your story, Heather. And I've got an email here from Joanna, also in response to that episode on getting pregnant after 35. But um, it's actually about miscarriage, um, which was something that we mentioned that we need to do an episode on. And she said, this past May, I lost my daughter when I was 22 weeks pregnant. 
I've been blessed to have a number of women in my life who have experienced pregnancy or early infant death, so they understand. However, talking to other women online, I realize that a lot of people don't have that kind of support. I just feel that people who have had a loss may not know where to turn to for support. Also, other people may not know how to respond. So the worst is when people don't acknowledge the loss at all. Some common comments that people who are trying to help say that are actually hurtful include, your baby would have been disabled. Be grateful for the children you have. It was God's plan. God needed another angel. Don't say you will make a good mom someday. I'm a mom now. I have experienced the type of pain that many moms will never experience. People also need to understand that seeing other pregnant people, babies, and children may be hard. And to not be upset if we can't attend baby showers or birthdays. Things you can do? Send a card. Offer to spend time with us. Let us cry. Ask about our babies. Remember us on Mother's Day, our due date, and the date of our loss. Help us connect to other people who have experienced a loss. Sorry for such a long email. I do really enjoy your show and hope you do an episode on miscarriages. So thank you, Joanna, for um, that candid letter. And we absolutely will do an episode on miscarriage because I'm sure that a lot of listeners, both women and men, can relate to that topic. So if you have a topic you'd like to request or just want to send us a shout out, you can email us momstuffatdiscovery.com. You can also find us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at momstuffpodcast. And you can follow us on Tumblr as well to keep up with us during the week. We're at stuffmomneverToldyou.tumblr.com. And of course, you can watch us on YouTube as well. We're at youtube.com slash stuffmomneverToldyou. And don't forget to subscribe. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. 